Welcome everybody to this bonus edition of the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WVEW 107.7 FM LP Brattleboro's Community Radio Station. I'm your host Olga Peters and welcome regular contributor Emily Kornheiser. You can also view this uh, recording on BCTV as well as YouTube, and the audio will be available on SoundCloud later today as well. As you can see, if you are watching the YouTube version, I am sporting the latest fashion accessory for our COVID-19 pandemic. I'm being a little cheeky, but we do want to talk about the governor's order today and um how important wearing masks are because it's not about keeping yourself safe it's about keeping the people you care about in your community safe and healthy am i reading that correctly emily i think you are olga um i wonder if you want to take the mask off because it kind of does not work for the audio quality (laughs) quite so well but i really like how we got to start off with it and how well it matches your shirt um and so because testing is not available to anyone who's not symptomatic, we are very aware that there are lots of people in our community who are likely infected with COVID um, and are not, um, who aren't aware of it yet or might never be aware of it and are walking around. And you know that might be me, that might be you. Mm-hmm. And so we're being asked to wear masks so that when we go about our daily lives, um, engaging in social distancing still, we are not spreading our own germs about. Um, Yeah, and there are some aspects of this that are really just sort of sitting with me in a wide variety of ways. And so I'm excited that we get this time together to talk about it. Me too. I had to go downtown today and it was interesting to me to watch Um, everyone on the street and there weren't a lot of everyone Uh, downtown's Brattleboro is pretty empty right now but um, I I would say that probably about a quarter to half the people I saw was were wearing masks Mm -hmm. um, and the rest were not and it but it was really neat to see everyone's creativity and how they had made these some people had real like construction for uh that construction uh or painters would wear you know with Mm -hmm. the the little breathing apparatus down here Mm -hmm. some people had homemade masks that was actually very fun to see um but i i can see that some folks are either not aware of the order Mm -hmm. or um aren't comfortable with it it is kind of weird walking around with masks Mm -hmm. like even just talking to you guys now when i had the masks on not being able to see my own facial expressions Mm -hmm. (laughs) was kind of strange Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, they are very important for keeping our own germs to ourselves. What, what are they symbolizing for you? Whew, so many things. Um, for one, I, you know, the choice about what mask to wear, whether that is, um, you know, a sort of standard issue medical mask or a bandana or a homemade handcrafted mask or, you know, a piece of stocking, um, there's a lot of sort of social implications there, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're wearing a medical mask, perhaps you're hoarding supplies. If you are, I'm not saying that you are, I'm just saying these are sort of the social implications of each of these choices. If you have a cute homemade mask, then you're being a good Vermont housewife. 
good Vermont hippie housewife and you're sort of the kind of person who cans and has the right garden and has a CSA and like has lots of time to always be like making everything right and making everything yourself. Um, if you're, you know, using a bandana, you're just sort of like, you know, getting it done, kind of a tough person. There's definitely like, you know, the like real Vermonter who has a bunch of like, you know, painting or hardware masks in their basement. It just occurred to me now that I actually ha probably have a few of those in my basement. Um, and so, and then there's the reality that like walking around in a non sort of standard issue medical mask as a person of color is probably a lot scarier um, for the person of color mm -hmm. um, because a lot of other people would be scared of a person of color not wearing a standard issue medical mask right and so because so often bandanas and uh, is are associated with people of color for like gangs and very negative yeah. connotations mm -hmm. yeah. yeah and so there's just like there's all of the layers of sort of you know social pressure around which mask you choose which is you know its own very very brattleboro kind of thing um or very vermont or very human whatever it is and then the and that's sort of, you know, that's interesting to talk about, but I don't think has a huge impact. What um, I've been really struck with is given that there is a scarcity of masks, mm -hmm. um, of medical masks, we have healthcare workers and other essential workers who for during the course of their regular work when, when they're not interacting directly with an infected person there aren't enough masks available to them, um, which has huge public health impacts as well as huge health impacts on the um, essential worker. Yeah. And so when the next sort of natural step from that is these sewing bees, these sort of virtual sewing bees of everyone making masks, um, my first thought is like, what a symbol of just sort of like the end times of civilization, like Western civilization, like American democracy, American capitalism, you know, whatever sort of version of neoliberal description you want to put on this time in history. We have gotten to the point where like, we can't use all of this factories, all of this industry, all of this infrastructure, all of these shipping containers to get enough medical supplies to people who are like working in the field and need it. Like that's just, and so like, it feels like very natural to people to just like start sewing them themselves. Like my first thought is just like one of horror and sadness about that. And then, I like can pivot to where I think most people that I know are with it. And just like this, like really nice sort of like victory garden approach of like everyone pitching in on the war effort. We're all going to get through this together. We're all going to be like, everyone gets to feel useful. And I, that's nice. That is nice. And I'm so glad that like in, you know, sort of the end times of neoliberal civilization that everyone's willing to step up. Like, but I, I can't, I can't release myself from the thought that like government is failing in a very serious way to deliver on its obligation to people in this time. And that obligation is to make sure that industry is working well enough to provide these masks to everyone who needs them. I fall in between those two, where I agree with you, this is something, um, 
for those who read the Commons, not this week, but the next week, I'm going to have an interview with uh, Meg Mott, a professor at Melbourne College, as well as a professor from Norwich University about kind of looking at COVID in a bigger picture and what does it mean for state rights? What does it mean for other, how does it compare to other historical events? That can't wait to read that. Oh my gosh. Do you know how exciting it is to like spend two hours talking to super smart people? It was, yeah, that was fun. Meg's the best. Oh, she is. Um, And, but Meg brought up a really interest, some interesting points about states duty to protect citizens which is kind of one of the early powers that was given to states versus powers for the federal government and yes this is something the federal government could do really well which is coordinate the supplies so that states aren't trying to outbid each other Mm -hmm. for supplies so that there is a coordinated event or or action um, and yes, I think it's a real failure on the federal government's part that um, this isn't going better. And can I just highlight that point for a minute? Mm-hmm. So there is more than enough housing in America for everyone to have a home, right? We've talked about that. That's known. And sort of capitalism keeps us from that, right? Mm-hmm. Aspects of capitalism keep us from that. But houses, like, are, they're hard to pick up and move. You can't really, like, stack them in a plastic sleeve. They're very, like, it's logistically difficult to redistribute houses. Yeah, and people may not want to move to where the yes. houses are. Yes. But masks, very easy to package and redistribute. Like, there is no logistical problem to government solving this the way there is for some much other larger sort of issues of basic needs and government providing. Okay, continue on. Now that I've ranted on your statement. (laughs) No, that's fine. The other side, you know, looking at the victory gardens and the sewing bees and how communities will pitch in. To me, you had kind of said, and I don't remember your exact words, but something like this is kind of a sign of the end of times, Mm -hmm. how government can't do this. I don't think this is new. Mm -hmm. Because if you think, I, I keep thinking about... Um, a documentary I saw years ago on the Statue of Liberty, that when it was given to the people of the United States, it didn't have any base. There was nothing to actually put this beautiful statue on. Mm-hmm. And the federal government was like, eh, whatever, we'll get to it. Don't have the money, whatever. Um, and I don't know how long the statue went without a base, but it was finally a mostly grassroots donation effort Mm-hmm. to get this base built mm-hmm. and you know i think that we have a history in the united states of communities stepping up to fill the space that government is not absolutely and, and de tocqueville wrote about that right like <laughs> yes. that's we have a long history of that even being sort of like academically proven but the statue a base for the statue of liberty is like not like a basic need in time of crisis no, but to me, it just highlights how, how widespread okay. this kind of filling in the, the cracks of government mm-hmm. goes. Absolutely. And how, because it's been so long, I think we take it for granted that that's what mm-hmm. the community's supposed to do, which is not necessarily a bad thing. You know, pulling together and, you know, supporting your neighbors is a really great thing. But if we're doing it to fill a hole that maybe we shouldn't be filling because it's not our responsibility, that's, I think, the the bigger issue for me. 
And, you know, um, our food shelves um, are a great example mm -hmm. of that, right? That's a place that community bands together to fill a need. Um, and we can, you know, people will discuss back and forth sort of how much that's government's obligation and how much it's really valuable for community to do that. I certainly, you know, um, think that food stamps should be sufficient to meet a household's need. I'm also concerned that with homemade masks, the efficacy is not anywhere near as good, mm -mm. right? And so we see these like, you know, all of these conversations happening both in sort of mainstream media and then on social media about like what materials you have to put into the mask um, in order to have a, the proper barrier. Um, I saw someone using panty liners. I've seen people using coffee filters. Um, some people are just using fabric, whatever the choice is. And then how is it laundered? So someone wears this cloth mask um, in work in sort of a frontline essential position where they're breathing on it for a long period of time. It's being sort of touched, you know, a lot. Um, and then they, do they bring it home with them? They take off all their clothes and bring them home. Does it get laundered at home? Does it get laundered at their place of work? Whose responsibility is it to provide for and take care of that mask if someone is using it at work in order to protect both themselves and the people that they're serving in that workplace? So where does the responsibility sit in that? Traditionally um, and historically, that's been the job of the employer to provide the employee with the appropriate resources for them to do their job. But if the employers can't get the resources, mm -hmm. what happens yeah. next? What happens yeah. next? Yes. Mm -hmm. And if there are these cute masks that people are sewing themselves, then do they want to bring them home to launder them? Do they get put into the main laundry, you know, with the kitchen rags, whatever it is? The whole. Yeah. I I'm think, just well, worried today, Olga. Oh, it's kind of one of those. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I'm looking out the yes. window at these absolutely amazing clouds mm -hmm. and sky, sky and sun. And yet it, it feels intense today. Mm -hmm. It's very intense today. There's some yeah. interesting humors mm -hmm. out and about. I think one thing we need to be very honest about with these masks, these homemade masks, is what mm -hmm. they can and cannot do. Mm -hmm. Um. For those who read the comments on Wednesday, they'll see my interview with some folks who are making homemade masks for Grace Cottage. I love all these sneak peeks. Thank you. <laughs> doot, doot. Um, and, and as much as they really are appreciated, none of the, the frontline uh, workers who are working with really ill patients, whether it's COVID or another type of illness, are wearing the homemade masks because they're not appropriate. Mm -hmm. for for a, a true infirmary setting. Mm -hmm. And I think we need to be honest with ourselves about that, that mm -hmm. yes, they help, mm -hmm. um, but they're not, they're not the protection of a medical grade mask. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank Whether you. you put the panty line in it or liner in it or not, mm -hmm. <laughs> as handy as those things are. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, using putting on your legislator's hat mm. you know what power does the state have in this type of situation to change it that's what's interesting um remarkably little because mm -hmm. we're in this scarcity environment and so um 
I could work with my colleagues and um, I am working with my colleagues to make sure that VOSHA, um, sort of Vermont's occupational safety and health agency is really doing what it needs to do to protect workers, um, the kinds of people who need protective gear and masks um, when employers are providing that. But if employers aren't able to access those supplies, what happens next? The mm -hmm. state you know, has set up a decent infrastructure to um, have people request masks, have those masks then be distributed. Um, people don't even need to pick them up. It's a very comprehensive system, but if the state can't get enough of them because they're you know, in a bidding war against other larger states with larger coffers and a, you know, a higher need, so a larger order size, mm -hmm. um, we can't we can't ask people to do the undoable right mm -hmm. um and so that's that's really challenging and so as a legislator i'm constantly balancing these conversations where people say i'm you know people say we're doing the best we can this is sufficient given the situation how far are we pushing people to say you you can do better for your employees you can do better for the people that you serve um, while still recognizing that there are clear sort of boundaries or parameters to how far someone can go. So not accepting excuses, not saying that, you know, it's sufficient, but still, yeah, recognizing the real challenges that are there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's interesting as we're going through this pandemic, what you just said brings two thoughts to mind. The first is it stresses for me why we need to continue our stay home, stay safe mm -hmm. protocols and why we need to, to observe that the best we can um, because we may not have the resources to help the medical staff that they need um, if, we, if we spread the, the germs. <laughs> but the other thought that comes to mind is, is once again, we've put expectations on businesses for like example, paying unemployment benefits, mm -hmm. that we do so because of capitalism, but is that the best way to do it? Mm -hmm. You know, once again, is that the best place for that responsibility to lie? Mm -hmm. um, and it may be in most situations, just not in a pandemic. Absolutely, and that's what's been so incredible about the unemployment transition is that we're saying, it is in the public's best interest for everyone to stay home. Mm -hmm. And so the public coffers, um, the unemployment trust fund is going to pay employees to stay home. Right. Right. And so this is one of those situations where it's in the public's good. Um, and so it's not just, you know, the protection of that one worker because it's in the public's interest for that worker to still be at work. Mm-hmm. And so since it's in the public interest for that worker to still be at work, we are acknowledging that we are offering appropriate protective gear as a community. And we are, you know, ideally also paying hazard pay as a further acknowledgement of that risk that person is taking. Mm -hmm. And for me, those are, those are for the public good. We're asking someone to serve the public good by still be working at this time and not staying home. We are just about out of time. But I want us to quickly just touch on going back to unemployment mm -hmm. and unemployment benefits yes. to let people know that if you are self-employed, 
um, freelance, uh, part-time employed, and have, have been denied regular unemployment benefits, or just denied regular unemployment benefits in general. Mm -hmm. The state of Vermont is hoping within, they said one to two weeks, to have their platform ready to give anyone who falls into those categories access to, I'm gonna forget the, the perfect name, but it's the Pandemic Emergency Unemployment Funds or something mm -hmm. like that, yeah. So, and so that's really exciting. And so that should make exciting. it much easier for people who don't have um, salary or hourly jobs that have sort of an easier time navigating the very flooded unemployment system. I don't want to say that those people have had an easy time so far. Um, but this system will be set up specifically for this sort of different map, um, different mode of eligibility for people. And so if people want to wait until then to apply, that would be great. If people have already applied, they'll likely get a denial letter, but they'll be saved in the system and be transferred over to the new system. Yep. And the I was on a town hall meeting with the Vermont Department of uh, Labor today, and what they're recommending is that people go to their website. If you apply or don't apply right now, that's your choice. But go to their website and you can sign up for their newsletters. And in their newsletters, they will let you know like where they are in the process and what what is available when, when they launch this new platform, that type of thing. And again, and I think we said this on the last show, I just want to let people know, I know it's really hard to get through with them right now. I know that their software is crashing regularly. They know that too. They are doing the very, very best they can. They're scaling up very, very, very quickly with from a situation where they had very few people applying for unemployment benefits. And so they are bringing in new people to work the phones from all over the state, not in, you know, not in real life, just on the phone because they're social distancing too. Um, and they're doing the very best they can and they should be sort of caught up in the back over the backlog in the, you know, the next week or two. Yep. They said today on the town hall that they, they've now reached a point where whatever they input, like say on Tuesday, came in on Monday. Nice. So they've caught up a lot. Great. I'm amazed at how fast they ramped up. Me too. And it's another one of those lessons for me from all of this that we can be um, responsive and efficient and effective if we really um, commit ourselves to it. That we are capable of, you know, governing flexibly and administering um, benefits that people need. Yes. Well, everyone who tuned in today, thank you so much for joining us. This has been the Montpelier Happy Hour here on WVEW 107.7 FM, Brattleboro's community radio station. I am Olga Peters, your host, and Emily Kornheiser. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much, Olga. And if people want to get in touch with me, they can find me at ekornheiser at gmail.com, ekornheiser at ledge.state.vt.us, on my website, emilykornheiser.org, or find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I used to say you could find me walking down the street. That won't happen anymore. But I am having a little town hall every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. with other state reps. Thank you, everybody.